0: What an honor to have my favorite preacher in here. It's, uh, uh, it's a real treat. Thank you so much. <clears throat> we bring to a close this morning almost two and a half years of studying the Apostle Paul, his life and his theology. And I've got to take a, uh, an informal poll. How many of you have basically been in for the whole ride? Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm a little bit emotional about this. I feel like I'm saying goodbye to my dear friend. And so we are going to start class out with, if you don't mind, it's just a three-minute review of the last two and a half years. So this week was an interesting week for me. It was a week of travel. One thing I love to do when I travel is I love to go to restaurants where I don't usually, you know, you're not going to know anybody. You're in a different town. You're in a different city and watch people. There was a breakfast this week. At the breakfast this week were two young girls, I'd guess age 10 to 12, clearly sisters, and a dad with them. And one of the young girls just nonchalantly put her foot over on the little bar that's at the bottom of the chair of her sisters, at which point her sister says, get your foot off my chair. And I couldn't really understand what the other child said. The younger sister, but the older sister says, I said, get your foot off my chair. The dad continues doing whatever he's doing, letting the children sort it out. Until the third time, get your foot off my chair. At which point I could just barely hear the other child say, I took my foot off your chair. And I'd been watching. And she had, she'd taken it off and then put it right back on. So the older sister said, I said, get your foot off my chair right now and keep it off. Enter the dad. Sarah. Whoops. <laughs> 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 Edit that one out. I don't want my kids on this video. I'd set the whole thing up. Sarah, get your foot off Rebecca's chair and keep it off. Rebecca. Rebecca. It really wasn't that big of a deal until you made it a big deal. I would like for both of you to please act your age. That's like real original parenting line. I'm sure you've never heard any parent use that one before. Act your age. I get told that all the time because I have a propensity to hide behind corners and jump out and scare Becky. And (laughs) she, she has a propensity to tell me at least once a month to act my age. And I've given up on that. Age, maturity does not always correspond to physical age. Have you noticed that? There are people who are getting up in physical age but, but still have their inner child in their everyday activities. And um, acting your age is something that's important. I think as we bring Paul to a conclusion, the fitting end for this, since i whimped out on teaching about the end times, the fitting end for this is to talk about Paul's view of what it means to grow up and mature as a Christian. And so that's what I want to do. Now this works real well within this church because maturing in Christ is a part of what this church is all about as far as its mission. The mission is to know Christ, to grow in Christ, and then to go in mission with God. And so if if the grow part is part of, of what we're looking at, the question is how do we grow in Christ? And I tell you this because different people have different ideas of what it means to mature in Christ. Some people think maturing in Christ merely means that as you mature, you sin less. So if we're putting it on a graph, you know, I'm I'm a baby in Christ, so I sin a lot. But as I grow in Christ, I just sin less. And that's what growing or maturing in Christ must mean. It's being less sinful. Although I don't know if as I grow older in Christ you know is is the maturing really being less sinful well that's that's going to be part of it no doubt about it but that's not the measurement that i would urge us to have okay? so some might say well no maturing in christ we mature in christ by learning more see the more me, more we mature the more we know we're, we're we're born again we 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 come into relationship it's restored we have restoration with god fellowship is restored and then over time we mature by learning more so we go to bible studies we go to church we go to 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 different uh home studies and and we read and and we we you know pay attention we collect the lessons we do whatever we need to do because we want more head knowledge but i want to tell you more head knowledge does not mean maturity in christ Any more than being less sinful, at least in the world's eyes, means maturing in Christ. You know, if you want to bear fruit in Christ, bearing fruit in Christ doesn't just mean... You can't take an oak tree and go to Kroger's and buy a bunch of apples and tape them on the branches and say you've got a fruitful tree. Because you don't have a fruitful tree, you have an oak tree with apples taped on it. Right? Right? Okay, just because you, you get more self-discipline and you do better doesn't necessarily mean you're maturing in Christ. In fact, you've got to be a little careful. You might be maturing in pride and arrogance. Okay, just because you have more head knowledge doesn't mean you're maturing in Christ. Head knowledge itself is, is, is dangerous as much as it is useful. So, what is it to mature in Christ? Paul uses the word. He uses it several times. If we go to Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians 2 6, among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. There is a wisdom, Paul says, that we impart among the mature. Who are the mature? Well, we know it wasn't all the Corinthians because in chapter 3, a little bit later, he says, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies, infants in Christ. That's the opposite of mature, right? He says, I had to feed you with milk. I couldn't give you solid food. You weren't ready for it. You're not ready for it now. Okay, and I must admit, for 30 years... For 30 years, this has bothered me. I remember the first time it bothered me. I, I, one of the classes I took in, in Greek was 1 Corinthians, and we translated. And I was sitting under Professor Dr. Harvey Floyd in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was so upset, I raised my hand. And I, I've never found anybody who agreed with me, and I kind of got ostracized from class. I don't think he called on me for a week or two after asking this question. <laughs> But I wanted to know who else is irritated at the Corinthians right now. Can you imagine what would have been in that letter if Paul could have written them solid food? I wanted, the solid, I wanted to know what he would have said. You know, if, if what he was doing was baby food. My professor so politely pointed out to me. He said, Mark, you're going to have trouble understanding the baby foods. So I really wouldn't be asking that question. And he was right. I mean, there's so many difficult issues in there. But, but what does Paul mean? He's got to feed them baby food. They're not ready for meat. What did it mean for Paul to be mature? What does it mean later on in chapter 14 when he says, Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. You can be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. What what is mature, Paul? What is mature? Look at the Philippians passage. Let those of us who are mature... Think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Let those of us who are mature think this way. What does he mean? Well, if we unfold Paul and we unfold maturity, we're going to see a number of different terms that Paul uses other than just the word mature. The word mature that he uses is, is, uh, I put a footnote in the lesson on it, uh, but a couple of you came up to me even before class and said, okay, we're ready to start a Greek class at this church. Um, I, I, I'm not ready yet, but but I'll tell you this. The Greek word is teleos. Telios, as a Greek word, can mean mature. It can mean aged. It can mean perfect in the sense that something grows to fruition as it matures, ripens. It's, you know, it, that's, that's this word, um, it, it means finished or completed. It's the word, um, uh, uh, if the Greek translation for Christ on the cross, when he says it is finished, he's using a verb form of it. Tetelestai, it's finished, it's perfect, it's mature, it's over, it's, it's over. It's complete. In Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks about faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Right before that, he says, now I know in part, but then I'll know fully. Now we see in part, then we'll see fully. When the perfect comes, when the complete comes, same word, when the mature comes. So, you know, what is Paul talking about when he says, let those of us who are mature... Well, he uses that word teleo some, but he uses some other words as well. He talks about earlier in Corinthians how God gives the growth. And that's certainly a maturing phrase. He says, uh, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but God gave the growth. And that's a word that indicates that growing or maturing is a process with God, it's not an overnight thing, it's a process. You can look at other words. He talks about wisdom being something. Wisdom is a part of maturing. In the Ephesian letter, he'll pray that they grow to maturity. The part of their maturity that he prays for is that they'll grow in wisdom and knowledge of Jesus. Wisdom is not head knowledge. Biblically, wisdom... The the Greek word is Sophia that Paul would be using. But the biblical concept of wisdom that he gathers from the Old Testament, especially Proverbs, is seeing things the way God sees them. You want to see things the way God sees them if you want to be wise. That's why James says, "Let ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. Wouldn't that be incredible to, to see situations the way God sees them? Wouldn't it be incredible to see someone on the street the way God sees them? Wouldn't it be incredible if instead of... I mean, there's this part of us. I love Stephen's sermon this morning. He starts out and he says, you know, competition is in our DNA. And it is. Maybe more so for men than women. I don't know. Although my little sister's fiercely competitive. She doesn't like me to tell people. But she cries when she loses. So you did not hear it from me. But you can ask her about it. Tell her her husband told you. But competition is in our DNA. There is something within us, in the fallen part of us. And maybe maybe I'm just, maybe it's me but there is something in me, I'll confess it as a personal sin, there is something in me that especially as I was younger didn't mind seeing people fall down. When I was a younger trial lawyer, the toughest jurors for me were men that were my age. And I kept them off juries. Because men that were my age for some reason never wanted to see me win. Okay. It's 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 something within us that 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 that's fallen that kind of takes delight. Oh let's we're entering into the political season, right? Aren't we Debbie? Okay. We're entering into the political season. There politics is very polarizing. Okay? I'm I'm surrounded by Republicans right now, with an occasional Democrat sprinkled in. Right, Moriarty, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, it, oh, he's pointed out another Clark. No, no, Clark, say no, not me, not me. Okay, <laughs> um, I, I, I. Hey, I, I, I'm, uh, um, I vote the candidate, not the party. So I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. But I am saying in a polarized political, when there's someone that you don't like, let's say you don't like, um, well, I don't want to use names, but let's just say there's a, a president at some time in the past you didn't like, whether it would be <laughs> George Bush or Bill Clinton, either one. If that president messes up and does something really bad, isn't it kind of vindicating? And don't you kind of feel good? And say, I knew that was a little scoundrel. What is it within us that sees people that way? I don't know, but I can tell you growth, spiritual growth, wisdom. You see people the way God does. And you see them with compassion and you see what they can be. And you see them with love. And it's, it's something that's, that doesn't come natural, it comes with growth. Spiritual is another word that Paul uses for people who grow and mature in the Lord. He uses people getting the, quote, mind of Christ. He uses the f- reference to grow strong in faith. And he compares being weak with being immature and being strong in faith with being mature. Now, in light of this, if this is what maturing in Christ is, if maturing in Christ is being wise and seeing people the way God does and seeing situations the way God does, if if being mature is God giving you growth, it's being spiritual, it's having the mind of Christ, it's growing strong in your faith, who here would not like to be mature in Christ? Sign me in. For that program. I would like to be mature in Christ. I would like to be strong in my faith. I would like to have the mind of Christ to see things the way God does. And so what we've done in the written lesson is we've broken out five passages of Paul where Paul talks about what it is to have maturity before the Lord. And I want to look at those briefly We're not going to look at all of them We won't have time But we'll look at what we have time to And the rest you've got in your lesson And you go home and study And then we're going to ask a couple of questions About what it's, what, what we could do pragmatically Day to day to grow in the Lord So let's look at some of these And let's start out with the passage out of Philippians And what I've got up here is Philippians chapter 3 So this is Philippians 3 And it it. We're really starting here at at the middle of verse 4. And we're going to go down to verse 15. So I want you to read it with me. But I need to put it into a little context first. Philippians, one of those four prison epistles Paul wrote. It's called the Book of Joy, you'll remember. It's one where Paul starts out by expressing his joy even though he's in prison. Because the Philippians had participated with him in the gospel. And so he's very thankful for it. Now the Philippians are having some issues... Euodia and Syntyche are fussing back and forth and the church is polarizing over that fight. And Paul says, look, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any participation in the Spirit, if there's any fellowship, you know, the don't, don't fuss. Have the same attitude in yourself that we see in Jesus, who existed in the form of God but did not regard that something he had to hold on to. He emptied himself and he talks about Christ humiliating himself in humility, I should say, to the point of even death on the cross and how God exalted him. In the the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So in the midst of all of this, Paul says, now you need to be careful how you're living. Be careful of the dogs and the evildoers, but also be real careful of your pompous pride. Be careful if you think that you're something on a stick, as they used to say in Lubbock when I was growing up. He thinks he's something on a stick. That's a sign you've gotten too big for your raisin. It's another way they'd say it. Here's what Paul says. If anyone else thinks he has reason to have confidence in his flesh, to think that he's hot stuff because of what his life is about, he says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's when it was supposed to happen. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which means even through the captivities, we've kept our lineage records. We go all the way back. A Hebrew of Hebrews, I still speak the language and so does my dad. As to the law, a Pharisee, the most rigid you're going to get. As to zeal, I was even killing people that I thought were heretics, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, you count the Old Testament code as the Pharisees had put it into place. And Paul says, I wasn't violating it at all. But whatever good, useful gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That word knowing, remember your Greek word knowing like your Hebrew word means an intimate relationship. That's the word you would use for a sexual union. It's an intimate relationship. It's not just a head knowledge. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing value, worth of an intimate relationship with Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them like garbage that I can gain Christ, be found in him, Not with a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now look here, please, and focus for a moment. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Now, if we skip down just a little bit. He says, I haven't already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. Paul's saying, and that's the word mature. He's saying, I'm not totally there. I'm not totally there. But I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. I don't consider I've made it my own, but this is what I do. I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ. And let those of us who are mature, not totally perfect, but who are getting there? Let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, what's Paul saying there? Paul is saying that he doesn't have a righteousness of his own. Paul is saying that his life is centered on the value of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul's specifically saying, I don't put value in my knowledge. Religious knowledge without a relationship with Jesus is garbage. That's what he says. Religious deeds without a relationship with Jesus is garbage. He says, my goal and what the goal of the mature person needs to be is to start thinking like Jesus. To have the mind of Christ, to have the heart of Christ, to grow in the Lord succinctly is to become more Christ-like. That's why it's not simply, oh, I want to sin less so I can be a more mature Christian. Or, oh, I want more head knowledge so I can be a more mature Christian. What you want is you want to have the heart of Christ. You want to have the heart and the mind of Christ. You want the humility of Christ. You want the willingness to suffer as Jesus suffered. You want the willingness to love and embrace those that are unlovable and unembraceable. You want the ability to reach out and minister to the poor. You want the ability to to have compassion. You want the ability to have patience. When your kids are driving you crazy. When your spouse is not what your spouse is supposed to be. That's Becky's burden, not mine. You want the heart of Jesus... You want to grow to be like him. And that's maturity in Christ. We see it. Look at the way Paul says it in the Romans passage. Romans 8.29 is where we start this. Because Paul says something in Romans 8.29 and then he gets kind of goofy and starts talking about predestination just to throw us off for a loop for three chapters. And then he gets back to his point. But if you start with Romans 8, look at this. For those whom God foreknew... God predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, for a purpose, too, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's going to spread, but but look at it. God, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We're to be Christ-like. It's the purpose of God to be conformed to the image. The Greek word for image is icon, icon. You're to be conformed to the icon, the image of Christ. That's God planned that for you. He did. Do you not think he's powerful enough to bring to completion the good work he began in you? He has planned for you to be in the image of Christ. That's an incredible thing. Now, Paul says later on when he gets back to his topic in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, look how he contrasts that. He says... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Look at this. Do not be conformed to this world. See, God didn't predestine you to be conformed to this world. He predestined you to be conformed, Romans 8, to the image of His Son. So this is point-counterpoint. You're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so don't, Be conformed to this world because that's not what God made you to be. Don't be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed. The Greek, metamorphized. Transform. This is the transformers. This is where it came from. This this gave birth to a whole movie genre. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. What's the word perfect? Mature. So Paul's saying, don't be conformed to the image of uh, to, to this world. You know, it's it's um it's like this. This is the problem the Corinthians were having. Let's see if we can put it up like this. Here is the world. And here is um, God's kingdom. Okay, you, if you are born again, live, this is you, this is where you are. He says, so don't live like you're there. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Live that way. Because your goal in God's kingdom is to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's maturity. So there are the other passages. You can look at them in in your thing and study them. But let me ask you this. How do we grow and mature in the Lord? How do we do it? I want to be more mature. Now, I want to sin less. The Holy Spirit drives me crazy in sin because it convicts me of my sin. He convicts me of my sin. I want to know more. I thirst for God. The psalmist, my soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee like a dry and weary land where there's no water. I I, I want more, but I want it as part of becoming Christ like. I don't want it just so I can be better than someone else. I don't want it to be smarter than someone else. I want the mind of Christ, I want the heart of Christ. I want to be like my Savior. Because he alone is worthy of anything that we would ever imitate or want to be. So how do we do it? Well, one is we do study. Last thing in the world David wants us to do is say something about him while he's sitting in here. But we say it, David, when you're not in here. Almost every Sunday. What an honor it is to be at a church where the pulpit teaches us and helps us study. Amen? Amen. We don't, we don't go and have a pep rally from the preacher. Because we are convicted and our preacher is convicted that studying God's word produces within us Christ's likeness. And so we study. But I want to tell you, don't just get all of your food from David's sermons. Because he's got to preach to 5,000, 10,000 people and meet all of their needs. You've got a Bible... And an ability to study with the Holy Spirit ministering to you. And you can do that. So don't get all of your food from David, but come get food from David. That's what he's here to do. Paul says in Ephesians, the reason we have preachers is to help us mature in the knowledge of the Lord. They've been given to the church to help the church mature. How else do we mature? You're not going to like this one, but suffering I initially in the lesson said suffering blech. Dale Hearn made me take out the blech. So I changed it to ug. He said I could put it in the oral lesson. Here it is. Blech. Who wants to suffer? I don't know what all of you go through in life but I know some of you. And I know some of you that don't know I know. Just because of, of the way life has turned out. And I can look out there and I can see a sea of people. And now not to isolate anyone. I will look down. But I will tell you, I know some of you that are suffering right now with family situations that really hurt. I know some of you that are suffering with health situations that really hurt. I know some of you that are suffering financially in desperate ways and don't know what you're going to do. I know some of you that are suffering because you just feel so alone and you don't have a friend. And all I can do is tell you That in the midst of that suffering, God promises to grow Christ-like character in you. Am I a masochist? A sadist? Oh, Lord, please hurt me. No. But I'm a realist. And it's like Pastor Trammell said this morning in his sermon. There are some lessons you learn in the desert you can't learn in Pharaoh's palace. And I can sit here and if this weren't on video for the world, I would tell you tales of times of suffering in my life where I literally was crying, where I literally felt like there was no hope, where I decided I would never teach again because God could not use such a broken vessel. And he breaks the jar and the precious oil flows out and anoints Jesus and then Jesus anoints the world. And it's amazing what God will do in your life as you grow to be more Christ-like through suffering. I don't wish suffering on anybody except, yes, I do. How else? Pray. Paul says pray all the time. How else? Um, spend one on one time you know we had this rule my daughters hated it when they're older they'll realize the wisdom of it if they don't already when they got like boyfriends in high school our rule was you couldn't see them two days in a row you had to have a day off because they start spending all that time together and you and I know what happens You just start getting a little too close that you're not supposed to get until you're married. Don't let a day go by that you don't spend time with the Lord because you want to be closer to Him than anyone else. And if you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be, you know which one of you moved because it's His heart to be with you. Find alone time. The next two weeks, before we start biblical literacy, we meet in this gym for two weeks. I'm going to do what we did last week. I'm going to share some Psalms that minister to me in my alone time with you so that you can see and maybe use something from my alone time that helps you with yours. And then in three weeks, God willing, we'll start. The Bibles are in. We've got English Standard Version Study Bibles that Crossway's provided to hand out to everybody in the class. 100 of them large print. Yeah, my, my older sister said, get me at the front of that line. <laughs> How else do we mature in the Lord? Church, worship. Strength and dignity and power are found in the presence of God. Isaiah 6, go before the Lord. It'll grow you. Points for home. I want to give you the three points for home, and then we've been sent a closing song for, to end our Paul series by uh, Phil Keggy. So I'll play it for you. Um, Paul, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I have a question for you. It's this. How serious are you about growing up in the Lord? I know too many people who are too religious to have fun in the world, but too worldly to have fun in the Lord. Straddling a fence is not a comfortable place to live. How serious are you? Ask yourself the question. You don't have to raise your hand. Just ask yourself the question. Are you serious enough about growing in the Lord that you're going to make a decision to be more Christ-like by spending time with Him, by praying to Him, by studying, and letting the Spirit grow within you the fruit of Christ? Question two, or point two. Paul said, We suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Growing up, is not always fun growing up is not always fun watch teenage girls and you know it to be true growing up is not always fun but there are times where you gotta go through it to get where you need to be point for home three Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we'll also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, I didn't cover chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians in here this morning because we didn't have enough time. But in chapter 15, Paul says something that's fantastic. He says, he's talking about the resurrection. And he says, do you understand that just as right now, inside you're conforming to the image of Christ? There will come a day where you will die... And outside, you'll conform as well. You won't just have the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, but you will have an imperishable resurrection body like the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Every day I age, I get closer to that, and so do you. And death will be swallowed up in victory, it has no sting. Because in death we become more Christ-like than we ever could in life. Amen? Amen? So with that, Lord, we commit to you who we are. And we ask in the name of Jesus that by your Holy Spirit you will grow your fruit in us. And give us the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the love of Christ. Let it control our behavior and control who we are. And send the message to the world as we not only know you, Lord, but grow in you and go to this world to share you. In Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, before you leave, it's only one minute and 12 seconds. And I've saved that much time. It's 1159. Phil Keggy did this for this class. Are you ready? Ready? studying Paul with us.